Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, that's page 1,352 if you're using a Bible. Under the seat in front of you. Another amazing passage in this awesome book called Colossians. We'll be in verse 19 through 22 this morning. Father, I ask your blessing upon your word. I pray that you would help us to comprehend the miracle of salvation, what truly happens in our lives when we place our faith in you. That the better we grasp it, the more we'd serve you. Open our eyes this morning to your amazing grace, your amazing power. In Jesus' name, amen. We do not live in the world that was originally created by God. You do know that, right? The world in which we live is much different than the one God originally created. Back in Genesis, the Bible teaches that God created us and put us in the Garden of Eden, this paradise, this wonderful place of beauty and health. In the garden, mankind enjoyed friendship and fellowship with God. Mankind enjoyed friendship and fellowship with one another. Adam and Eve had the perfect marriage in paradise, in the Garden of Eden. Everything was awesome. But mankind rebelled. Adam and Eve chose to disobey the Lord. And they sinned. And it changed everything so that today we now live in a fallen, broken world. And the human race is a fallen, broken race. And we truly have made a mess of things. But praise be to God, the Lord Jesus came to fix the mess. And that's what we read about in our text this morning. Look at verse 19. Colossians chapter 1 says, For it pleased the Father that in him, Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. And by him, Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. There's a word that's repeated twice, and it's such an important word. It's the word to reconcile. Verse 20, by him, Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself. End of verse 21, now he, Jesus, has reconciled us. Reconciliation, such a wonderful word. It's a word that means to bring something back to what it once was. 
It means to make something that has become wrong right again. To take something that was broken and bring it back to where it needs to be. Most often in the Bible, reconciliation is used to speak of what happens when relationships get fixed. For instance, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar. Go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So think of two best friends. These guys are inseparable. They're like brothers. They enjoy, they're in company. Something comes into that relationship that's an offense. It splits it. It separates it. Breaks the harmony. Now they're not talking. But then later, that offense, whatever it is, is removed. It's cleared out. And those guys are reconciled back together into that beautiful friendship. That's reconciliation. The word reconciliation also means to bring peace to two parties that are at enmity with one another. So think of two nations that are at war. Not hard to imagine today, right? Two kingdoms at war. They're fighting each other. Yet a peacemaker comes along, brings them together, negotiates the terms. They sign a a peace treaty, a real one that works. And now you have two warring nations living in harmony and at peace together. That's reconciliation. I'm praying that something like that can be happening in our world today, aren't you? And I'll tell you what, this word reconciliation, when it happens, there's so much joy. You know, when World War II was done, I I can still, you know, remember the pictures and and the videos of the, the ticker tape parades. Remember? People just rejoicing. War's over. Peace has come. I've worked with married couples who are at odds with each other. The husband and wife, they're fighting. They're, they're bitter. They're separated. But then they, they come together again and we talk through it and perhaps whatever that issue is get removed. And you see this beautiful reconciliation between husband and wife. Such joy. Or a parent and a child. You know, one of the hardest things for us to do as parents is to watch a a son or daughter go wayward and how you worry about that son. And I've talked with families that have been in that situation and prayer is offered and, you know, a lot of times the parents, they can't even sleep at night. But then the son comes home and there's reconciliation and there's great joy. Remember with the prodigal son, he comes back, he's reunited with dad. And what did dad do? Kill the fatted calf. Have a party. Such a beautiful word. When I was in high school, I had a dear friend who was like a brother. And I forget even what the issue was, but some issue came between us and it separated us. And 
we weren't talking, and, and it, it, I was distraught over it. I couldn't sleep. And eventually, we got together, and we had the heart-to-heart, and it got fixed, and that friendship was restored. Oh, I'm telling you. Reconciliation. So beautiful. In this text, Jesus is the ultimate reconciler. He's the ultimate peacemaker, and he presides over the greatest reconciliation. Jesus is the one who can reconcile the sinful human race back to God. In fact, look what it says of the condition of the human race in verse 21. It says, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Do you realize that verse describes the condition of the human race in a fallen world? That's us. It says we are alienated. One of the strongest words in the Greek, estranged cut off, separated from God. It uses the word enemy. We're enemies of God. We're at war with God. Now, some of you might take offense to that and say, I don't have anything against God. I like God. I'm not at war at God. I don't feel like I'm at war at God. You may not feel like that, But the issue is that there's an offense within you that puts you at war with God. And in one word, that offense is called sin. We are sinful. Adam and Eve fell into sin. The human race is born in sin. And we sin. We sin in our imaginations, as it says, in our minds, our thoughts, our speech. Wicked works. And that is something that separates you from God because God is without sin. Do you understand? Perfect. Holy God. Who can't tolerate sin. And injustice must punish sin. Please, please. Understand the seriousness of sin. All sin. Don't sit here thinking, well, at least I'm not as bad of a sinner as that guy sitting next to me. We've all sinned. Well, Jesus Christ, the great reconciler, takes away sin. So that we can be reconciled to a holy God. I mean, look what it says as we continue reading. Verse 21. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, blameless, above reproach in his sight. Jesus comes to reconcile And when Jesus gets through with you, he presents you holy in the sight of a holy God. Think of it. 
Holy, that's a word we use for God. Sinless, clean. After Jesus gets through with you, you are presented blameless in the sight of God. Blameless, literally without one spot. Not one speck of uncleanness in you. It was nice to see some snowflakes a few days ago. Did you get to see that? I love snowflakes in El Paso because they don't stick. But they're so beautiful. Scientists have discovered that every snowflake has a tiny piece of dust at its core. Every snowflake has a dirty heart. After Jesus gets through with you, not one speck of defilement remains. And in fact, you become even whiter than snow. Not even a piece of dust. When Jesus reconciles you, he presents you above reproach in the sight of God. That's a word that means You stand before God without any accusation. You're above reproach. Nobody anywhere can accuse you of any sin because it's all been wiped clean. In other words, Jesus can make you perfect in the eyes of God. And in so doing, reconcile you to God, that you have a beautiful relationship with him. It is truly awesome. Now, this passage is interesting because it also says that Jesus is eventually going to reconcile all of the fallen creation back to how it should be. It says in verse 20, By him, Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Do you realize there's coming a time when the great reconciler will reconcile all the things of creation back? Everything on earth and everything in heaven, as it says. You know, as I look at this world and this universe, I'm blown away by it. It's amazing what God has done. But do you realize that we're seeing everything from a fallen perspective? Do you realize everything's fallen? In fact, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, the creation was subjected to futility. The creation itself one day will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. We know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs. No matter how awesome things look, do you realize creation is groaning for the day that it will be restored to what it once was? See, when mankind fell, everything else fell, including things like the ground, the soil, After Adam sinned, the Lord said to him, because you've heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. 
both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth. Do you realize all those weeds that you have to deal with are part of a fallen creation? The thorns, the thistles. Can you imagine a time when everything out of the ground was productive and fruitful and you didn't need pesticides or fertilizer? The oceans are fallen. Now we look at the oceans and the seas and they're so beautiful, but they're not as beautiful as they once were. In a fallen world, you have things like hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes and tsunamis. The Bible even seems to suggest that the stellar world in the heavens is corrupted. In Job chapter 25, the counselor Bildad says, How then can man be righteous before God? Or how can he be pure who is born of a woman if even the moon does not shine and the stars are not pure in his sight? Now, again, I look up in the starry night and I'm amazed and I see the the moon and it's shining. and, And just think, it's not shining like it once did. We're in a fallen creation. The animal kingdom. It's fallen. Animals die. Our doggies die. Our little pets. In a fallen world, they die. In a fallen world, the animals don't get along very well. In fact, they eat one another. They're predators. They're dangerous. The wolves and the lions and the bears will gladly eat you. Man by the name of Timothy Treadwell was the founder of the bear protection organization called Grizzly People. He lived among the coastal brown bears in Katmai National Park in Alaska for 13 summers. He died. Anybody want to guess how? He was eaten. On October 5th, 2003, Tweadwell and his girlfriend, Amy Huguenard, were killed and almost fully eaten by a 28-year-old bear whose stomach was later found to contain human remains and clothing. Two days ago, did you hear the story? A camel got loose from a petting zoo in Tennessee. Camel killed two men, almost destroyed a police car. Until it was taken out. See, in a fallen world, there's wildness. There's danger. There's death. There's destruction. Mosquitoes. Roaches. Poisonous snakes. Spiders. Flies. Maggots. And then you add to that all the unseen bugs like viruses, infections, poisons, diseases. And you add to all of that the sinful human race and the crime and the ugliness and the brokenness. Did you know that one day Jesus Christ is going to reconcile all that? 
everything back. In fact, the scripture teaches that Jesus, when he comes again, is going to set up a kingdom, a millennial reign, a thousand-year reign. And during that time, much of what we see wrong in creation will be righted. Isaiah 11 speaks of that day, and prophet writes, In that day, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. A little child shall lead them all. The cow and the bear will graze together. Can you imagine that? Their young ones shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. The weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It says in Isaiah 65, no more shall an infant from there live but a few days. For the child shall die 100 years old. In other words, it's saying there's coming a time where if you died at 100, you'd still be considered a child. There's incredible health and beauty and longevity coming when Jesus returns. Verse 21 in Isaiah 65 says, They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. And then, remember after the millennial reign of Christ, then Jesus is going to create a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. And it's going to be even more wonderful than what we could possibly imagine Jesus reconciles people back to God. And those reconciled people will one day enjoy a reconciled creation. Such an incredible passage. Question, how did Jesus make it possible for us to be reconciled? And how does he make it possible for all of creation to one day be reconciled? Well, Jesus had to pay a tremendous price because Jesus had to get a rid of that which offends a holy God. He had to get rid of what? Sin. He has to go and remove that sin. And the scripture says that he did so at the greatest price imaginable. It says at verse 20, By him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. End of verse 21, Yet now he is reconciled, In the body of his flesh through death. You know what it costs? Death. 
of the Son of God. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross is what allows you and I to be reconciled. Remember, God is holy. We are sinful. God in his holiness and righteousness must judge sin. But the Bible teaches that if a holy, perfect, righteous one were willing to die in the place and take the punishment for sinners, God would take that. So the Son of God became man the perfect Son of God. And he went to that cross. And all of my sins were placed upon him. And all of your sins were placed upon him. The sins of the world were placed upon him. And he died. And he paid that price. He took the punishment that you and I deserve. Listen. God does not sweep any sin under the rug somewhere. All sins must be paid for, punished. Jesus died for all of yours. And then he rose again that third day. David Guzik writes, The blood of the cross speaks to us of the real physical death of Jesus Christ in our place, on our behalf, before God. The literal death in our place and that literal judgment he bore on our behalf is what saves us. My brother and sister in Christ, don't you ever lose the wonder of the cost of what Jesus did for you. And don't ever lose the wonder of the radical miracle that is taking place in your life. From sinner to blameless. From being alienated to being reconciled. Now it is so important to understand that Jesus has paid that price but you must receive him. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 1.12, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. You must receive this. You must understand what happened to you, what happened to Jesus at the cross and what he paid for. And then you must receive him. And you'll be reconciled. And you'll have the hope of that wonderful reconciled creation. You know, it's wonderful. Verse 19 says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, It pleased the Father that by Jesus to reconcile all. You know what? God is absolutely delighted to save you. He's pleased to do so. 
He was pleased to send his son to die on that cross for you so that you could be saved. Jesus said in Luke 15, I say to you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Ticker tape parades in heaven and rejoicing when one sinner is reconciled. Have you allowed him to reconcile you? And you, know, you want to know something? When you give your life to Jesus Christ, when you ask him to be your Lord and Savior, not only does he reconcile you, but he'll change you. He'll transform you. Because when you become a Christian, we still live in a fallen world, don't we? And we still live in these fallen bodies. And there's still issues. But with the Lord Jesus, he'll change you. He'll transform you. He'll make you a better man, a better woman, better wife, better husband, better mom, better dad, better friend. In fact, when you become a Christian, when you get reconciled to God, oftentimes after that, then all of these other relationships in your life can become reconciled. You know, many people live and there's a big mess in their life and it's just, there's fires all over the place. And they think, well, I gotta go put out each fire and try to do everything I can to heal this relationship. No, if you're not reconciled to God, you don't have a chance. You need to start there. Let him save you. Years ago in a Western city, a husband and wife became estranged and they finally separated. They left the city and resided in different parts of the country. The husband one day chanced to return to the city on a matter of business, and he went out to the cemetery to the grave of their only son. He was standing by that grave in fond reminiscence when he heard a step behind him. Turning, he saw his estranged wife. The first inclination of both was to turn away but they had a common binding interest in that grave. And instead of turning away, they clasped hands over the grave of their son and were reconciled one to another. It took nothing less than death to reconcile them. And it takes nothing less than death, the precious blood of Christ, to reconcile man to God. Jesus died for you so that you could be reconciled to God. And then let him change you. And let him use you. Paul talks about this idea that Christians are called to be ministers of reconciliation. So now that we've been reconciled, we minister reconciliation to others. Let that impact you. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Lord, we're so grateful. 
Thank you for what you did. Thank you for the sacrifice. Thank you for making it possible for us to be reconciled to you. And I pray, Lord, as your people, we live our lives remembering that. Help us to live for you every day, to shine for you, to be ministers of reconciliation. And then, Lord, I want to pray for anyone here who has not yet been reconciled. Maybe you've never understood the gospel, the idea of salvation like you see it in God's word today. Maybe you never understood that. One sin will keep you out of heaven. The demands of God are perfection and nobody can live up to that. So Jesus sent, the father sent his perfect son to take that price for you to pay for those sins and rose again the third day you put your faith and trust in him and you'll be reconciled it all depends upon him have you done that if not i want you to do it right now ask the lord to save you right now in the quietness of your heart say to the lord lord Reconcile me. Put me in a right relationship with you. Wash away all my sins. Remove them. I am a sinner. Thank you for dying on the cross for me, paying the price that I deserve to pay. And rising again that third day. And I... Be my Lord, be my Savior. Make me yours now and forevermore. And help me to follow you all the days you give me here. And oh, how we look forward to the glorious future you have all mapped out and planned us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's